don't even know where to start this thing, actually, so I'm just going to rip right into it. Your favorite podcast that has been hidden in the dark is back, Dudes with Some Balls. And not only are we back, we got the full staff back. We got Jacob Booth located in Dallas, Texas now. We have myself located in Seattle, Washington, but going to be back in St. Louis at the end of the week. And then we got Jordan, who's still located in Arizona. Dudes across the map is what we should be called. How are we doing, my two fellas? Fantastic, dude. How are you? Great. Hearing your voice. I'm doing well, Nick. And Booth, it's good to see your face. It's been a while. Yes, sir. Uh, You know, this time of year, you know, the last week of April and May down here, I mean, it's already reaching triple digits. So, you know, you got to enjoy the sun while you can, I guess. Dang, man. Your balls are hot over there. I wish we were dudes with some faces right now. I don't even know where to start. I know this is a sports content podcast, but we are a little suspect. Dudes with some balls in full action. Um, keeping it really light. And I told you both, I was going to explain it a little bit to our listeners. Some that may know that followed me uh, for the past several months. We never talked about it on the podcast, but I worked for an MLB team. Uh, not going to disclaim who, if you know where I live, you can figure it out. Uh, essentially being a front office employee, they wouldn't let me do podcasting, even if it wasn't baseball talks. And I, I totally respect that. Nothing against them. Had a pleasure working there, but on to, on to new things as I'm looking to start a broadcast career and looking to boost this podcast as best as I can going forward. We're here with Dudes With Some Balls, ready to bring you a ton of content, a ton of balls action. Jordan and Booth back in full swing, jumping on board, excited to have them back and excited to get this thing starting from the ground up again. And we're doing a quick intro duction video today with you guys starting right now. Keep yeah, it light. Nick, I'm going to jump in because uh, our listeners deserve to know, but you know, Booth and I, we really both wanted to carry the pod along while you couldn't join it. And uh, Nick was, he was not willing to give up the reins of the pod. Now I tease, I tease Nick <laughs> is the backbone of this podcast. So when Nick, when Nick said he was going to be down for the count for a while, we knew it was just a hiatus until uh, we got the boys back together. I just didn't want to teach you guys how to audio edit, honestly. That, that's the hardest part. Um, but I did. we did talk about keeping it going, and a lot of people recommended that I do it. But I, I love my name, and I wanted to be selfish and be myself on the fly. Uh, no, that's all. We all kid aside, man. I, I appreciate you guys understanding. Hopefully, we grow this thing even better. Maybe find some way to do some live events. We're going to hammer social media here soon. So any recommendations from anybody? Give me some Rex boost over there, giggling and laughing like he always does. He's the cutest person on the podcast, but today we got you with a light one to keep your ears engaged and hopefully not bore you too much. We're just going over our biggest disappointments as well as on the bright side, our biggest surprises so far of the young 2023 MLB season. I think we kick it off in the right way, flipping it up to booth who hasn't been on the podcast and even the longest. Give me your biggest surprise so far through the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep this one brief because I feel like uh, everything's already been said on this team is the the Tampa Bay Rays. They've been killing it all year. Um, I saw a tweet the other day that just listed all the stats. They're first in everything from wins, average, on-base percentage, home runs, war, ERA, just every stat you could think of. They're, they're leading the league. So uh, they put together a good team, and it's, uh, it's a tough uh, stadium to play in that Tropicana field, but they've been showing out. It's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. No need to move. No need to do any renovations. Nothing. It's a great ballpark. Probably top 10 ballpark, I'd say. (laughs) The Rays have been a little bit surprising. So I think pitching goes a long way for them. They've battled through some injuries, even again this year with Springs and Glass now, and they're not missing a beat. So um, that's pretty sweet to watch. 
And Dude, they've been driving the ball too, man. Like a yeah. typical Rave, or typical Rays team in the past just feels like they're the type they just figure out ways to win. They beat you with you know the singles, the bunts, and this year they just every game they they're hitting a bomb at some point. So that's been a big surprise. It was like almost wondering how long they'd sustain it, but so far through over a month now, it's kind of looking like no joke. Uh, they got a couple leaders on that team, Rosarena and Franco, who seem to be just carrying the boats for them, as David Goggins would say. I uh, that, that start reminds you of the Mariners of a couple years ago when they started out so hot, but then the Mariners kind of fell off a little bit. The Rays have kind of kept it going. But, yeah, when Tim Beckham was flipping bats in 2019, but no one expected the Mariners to be good. At least the Rays had a little bit of the Rays still had a little bit of playoff expectation coming into this year. The Mariners were not expected to be good that year, so it's it's a little different. The uh, my goal, my goal was to avoid the Mariners on this podcast because I don't know how I feel about them. Um, what I will say though is my team that's been a big surprise for me sticks in the uh, AL East, and that's the Boston Red Sox. I I'm not really a huge believer on them in sustainability, but how well they've done so far in May has been really impressive. Kicking it off with uh, Mashitaka Yoshida has just been a beast. Uh, watching him in the World Baseball Classic, I had so much fun watching his swing and now seeing how he's been able to translate and then pick it up into the MLB level is absolutely wild and impressive. He is a real deal talent. I saw something he had like eight games without taking a swing and at least not making contact, which is almost unheard of. Rudy goes off to a good start hitting over 308 or hitting at 308, slugging right around uh, the 400 mark or the 500 mark, excuse me, on base percentage of 380. And then Devers is just absolutely launching the ball when need be, but they have been really impressive to even sustain. And the AL East is looking like it could potentially have three wildcard teams in there. Not to mention, I love the resurgence of uh, Kenley Jansen. I know he struggled a bit in Atlanta last year and it seems he's kind of uh, uh, rewinding the clock back to uh, his days at the Dodgers and throwing hard and shutting the door for them. Big 400. Yeah, what is that? I was watching the game the other day because I remember his last stint with the Dodgers. He's like 93 to 94. And then I turn on him against the Braves and he's throwing like 99 mile an hour cutters again. It's that revenge game, man. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I made fun of him on the Braves last year. Like the second half of the year, he was so bad. And now he looks great. It's also because he's playing with Justin Turner, old friends, old teammates, who's also having a great year at hitting 277 right now and is. Uh, only struck out 22 times to 18 walks, which is like super impressive to him. I know that's like the K rate's higher, but he also has 39 hits on the year already and and drove in a few runs. He's He's been solid kind of at a DH position now. So it's good to see him. I really liked watching his swing when I was in college playing. So the Red Sox look good so far. Uh, who you, would you kick it your way for most surprising team, Jordan? So I feel like my answer is going to be a little chalk, but I got to go with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're four games over 500. And if the, I think the biggest surprise to me is if you look in the off season, the last two years, uh, key Brian Hayes, their third baseman, young third baseman, he was the pirates first, or I guess the most expensive player they ever paid at $70 million contract, which is insane in today's baseball. So the ownership paid him 70 mil, which is in reality, that's chump change to a lot of teams in the league, but then they go out and sign Brian Reynolds to a over a hundred million dollar extension so they're they're paying some of those core guys. They have young guys like O'Neill Cruz. They have guys that are they're you know given the opportunity to pitch at the big league level that are young and just absolutely shoving. So they are playing in a weak division. I don't know how long they can sustain this, but you know for me so far, if you told me coming into the season who would be the bottom five of the barrel, they would be in that. So that's my biggest surprise of the season. 
the Pirates are fun. They have a little juice in them. I talked to Booth about it a little bit just because I think the lineup was exciting with Key Brian Hayes, like you mentioned. O'Neill Cruz was made a really stupid slide early in the year, and now he's not playing right now, but he's super fun to watch. They're going to extend him, surely. I feel like they signed Reynolds for super cheap for a guy who was asking for a trade before the season started. Yep. Um, so that was pretty sweet. And then Connor Bernard's been an absolute horse in the bullpen. So uh, raise it, as they like to say, buck up. Um, I was all on board on the Pirates. If we could have done a preseason podcast, I would have made the joke that they were going to be a wild card team with 87 wins. I've been saying that since the end of last season. Well, if you told me if we did this podcast 10 days ago, I would be looking a lot smarter because if you look at their last <laughs> day, they're on the stretch. But yeah, I mean, the fact they're still over four, uh, over 500 by four games is, is quite impressive. Yeah. Without O'Neill Cruz, too, might I mention again, that's that's a big blow. So I like that. I think if you want to stick remember in the in the offseason when they signed Vince Velasquez and they dropped that hype video for him and uh, everyone <laughs> yeah. on Twitter was bashing them. It's kind of yeah. nice to see them. Yeah. And Rich Hill, <laughs> they, they made one for him too. <laughs> Carlos Santana. And they're like yeah. all these old heads. And they got a nice blend of old head and young gun. So it's like it's almost like a yeah. movie. They might be the moneyball team here in 20 years that we look back on if they can pull off the playoffs. So uh, is there maybe... a player you guys have been surprised about mostly? Uh, I would say I've been surprised at how bad Julio Rodriguez has been playing. If that counts, that counts. So I I guess, yeah, I was just looking at the stats and I remember from a couple weeks ago, just following on the season because, uh, I got a buddy on the Cubs, but, uh, I've been watching some of their games, but Patrick wisdom has been absolutely smacking the crap out of the ball this season. It's been crazy. All he needed to do was not strike out as much and, he would be, you know, all-star level again. He'd like led the MLB in strikeout rate, but he has been. Cody Bellinger has been really fun. That team's been a little surprising too. Um, they've yeah. been kind of streaking on the wrong side as of late, but they, if we had done this podcast two weeks ago and asked who was surprising me, I definitely would have considered saying the Cubs. I think when you stay in the surprise to the disappoint rate, if you want to stay in the Central Division, I know this one based on last year maybe shouldn't be a disappointment, but I'm really disappointed in the Chicago White Sox I mean this was a team that for three years like 20 2019 2020 2021 I could even maybe made an argument last year that this team could be a serious World Series contender and getting rid of their management and or sorry not yeah their manager and uh hiring a new front office and staff and everything with the talent they had I've been really disappointed in how they performed and now they're kind of the biggest team to watch to see if they're going to ship players like Dylan C's and Lucas Giolito and potentially even guys like Anderson and Robert in there too. Yeah, they've been disappointing or they've been very disappointing. They've had some injuries they've been dealing with, but even their starting pitching hasn't been what it has been in the years in the past. Giolito not having that back end closer and Hendricks, who's coming back from leukemia, that hurts their pet back end pen. But certain guys like Kopech and, and some of those guys are I think they're going to be able to turn it around. I don't I don't like that central division too much this season. It's it's the weakest division in baseball, I would say, with the Tigers I think still flying under 500 being in second place right now. So, they definitely can still compete with what they have, but I wouldn't be surprised if come July that this team could be selling some major pieces, especially with the amount of guys in terms of the pitching that they only have on one year one-year contracts at least before arbitration so uh, there'll be a team definitely to watch for me in terms to see if they can flip or sell uh, that's that's definitely my disappointing team through may so far booth who's your disappointment i i like to jump on this team because uh i know nick used to work for them and and obviously lives in the city and is a big fan 
But uh, I've been pretty hard on the Cardinals this year. This is a team I, I fully expected to win the division. And um, I, I believe this this issue kind of stems from uh, the lack of moves around their pitching staff in the offseason. Um, obviously, their big signing this offseason was Wilson Contreras, and they already talked about moving him to a DH role um, and out of the catcher position, which is is not what you want to see from uh, a guy you gave a big contract to. Uh, but that that third uh, rotation is just uh, not too good, and it's it's really old. Um, and just I think the the average age is almost thirty six. Uh, obviously, Wayno skews that number up a little bit higher, but um, it's it's not looking too good for them. And uh, I, I think uh, they're going to be sellers here over the next few months. Mullet, Jordan, if you have anything to say on that before I kind of chip in. Yeah, on that. I mean. The last few games, they've looked pretty good, I thought. But, I mean, yeah, the st- I think in terms of the staff, one of the pivotal pieces that people aren't talking about is, yes, they got Wilson Contreras, but Wilson Contreras has been known to be the catcher that's not, like, take charge of the entire staff type deal. Um, I think when he was in Chicago, he had asked to play outfield as well, if I remember correctly. He was basically trying to get mixed up to where they'd have a two-catcher system. Um and when you look at what the Cardinals have had over the last 15 to 20 years and Yadier Molina, they don't have the same guy running that staff, um, the same demeanor, I would say. Not the not to say anything's wrong with the way Contreras controls the staff, but like Booth said, moving him to a, a DH primarily role is is pretty alarming when you're paying him what they're paying him. Um but I mean, the, I think the biggest surprise of that team is, and I'm, I'm assuming it's injury. I'm not sure, but it's got to be perennial all-star Nolan Arenado not being able to get the stick going. So he looks lost at the plate right now. And uh, yeah, I think you said the AL Central is one of the worst divisions in baseball. I think this might be one of the ones that like, if you're going to go down that uh, far behind early, that's a good division as well, because you're going to get good opportunities in division, um, which I don't think it's a very, very strong division this season. Yeah, you definitely stand your best chance, I think, if you're in either of those two. And yeah, the Cardinals down, but definitely not out. They do need to make some changes. I think that goes stems to what you're saying, the Yadier Molina thing. Most of those guys on the staff have been there for some years and come through with Yadi being their backstop. But when the, supposedly, you know, with the pitchers complaining about how the catching has been and that's affecting their ERA, I look at it as a bunch of horse crap. Like you're also the same pitcher that's not posing a good ERA right now, and you're complaining about Contreras. Like you also no have a second-year manager too that in the postseason yeah. looked lost when he was, you know, in that series against the Phillies, he looked completely lost. And one would say that he might have cost them that series in in Game One that series. So there's, that's another factor to think of. There's a lot of heat on Marmol, especially from the fans. Yeah, people are pressing Send him. Send Walker down. Yeah, sending Walker down from the front office standpoint, especially like when you're down that far, you're wondering. They put a lot of faith in their younger pitchers who are in the system right now, such as like Gordon Graceffo, that people were expecting, even Libertor, who was up a little bit last year, to be up. And that's the reason why we didn't make, you know, the Cardinals didn't make moves in the offseason to sign anybody, was the faith in those guys. And then the uprising of Jordan Walker to ultimately just send Walker down early while the team's struggling, but his success is pretty is great for a rookie. And then you're not even using these young pitchers who are supposed to be the reason you didn't make a splash in free agency to ultimately still be down, you know, 10 plus games in the division isn't too strong of a look for St. Louis. So I do agree. It's been very disappointing in there. They historically are a very good second half team. So like I said, I hate the term. It's still early 
But in terms of understanding that there's still 120 plus games left in the season, that it's still early for every team around in this league. But, but Jordan, if you had a disappointing team that you're looking at so far, who would it be? I'm looking at one division and I've been battling back and forth this whole time between two teams, but I'm going to go ahead and go with our three favorite team, the New York Mets. Uh, I just think I, I almost kind of giggle when I think about them, when I see them being under 500, just because I know how much money Steve Cohen has put into that organization over the last five years or four years, basically since he bought the team and paid Francisco Lindor $300 million. But I know they've been battling through injuries, but this stemmed all the way back. Like their struggles started in the WBC when their perennial all-star closer, uh, Edwin Diaz, we don't get to hear the trumpets go, starts celebrating a win in the WBC. He ends up being out for the year. Verlander's made two starts this year, and he got hit around by Detroit, who is not – I know they're in second place right now. Again, weak division, but he got hit around in his one start. Scherzer's already been thrown out. They just re-signed uh, Darren Ruff, who they – uh, was it DFA'd last year? So I don't know. I just find the whole – I love when the New York team struggle. I, I could I could have said the Yankees too just because their starting rotation has been very disappointing and their bullpen's actually been very good this year, which is not what I would have expected. But my disappointing team is the New York Mets. And they're in a tough division too. Like Philly's going to get it going. The Braves are, are maybe – them and the Rays right now are the best teams in baseball. So – I uh I agree, and it's not looking too pretty for Lindor, who's supposed to be in his peak years, who is a 41 strikeout to 15 walks on the year and hitting below 225. Not super pretty. Alonzo gets so much hype around him. I'm a huge Pete Alonzo hater. I make it clear every day. He's leading the MLB in home runs. That's awesome, but he doesn't do it with runners in scoring position, and he's only hitting 234 on the year with an on-base percentage, not even 100 points higher. So it shows he just doesn't get on base. You can't really have that if no one else is really carrying the team when most of your guys are hitting well under 250 outside of Jeff McNeil, who's hitting 269, and Daniel Vogelbach, uh, who's at 256. So the Mets have a lot of figuring out to do. I think there's quite a few issues with how the roster is structured as well. Like they're asking Tommy Hunter to eat up a lot of innings out of the pen, which is, uh, I think he's like 35 or something like that. But what year is it that we're asking him to come in? Uh, and then uh, the the outfield also, there's no depth out there. They have, they're sending Jeff McNeil out and left a few games, but it's like just Mark Kenya, uh, Nemo, and Starling Marte. They don't really have any bench pieces that, I mean, unless you want to put Tommy Pham out there, but. Uh, he's more and of a DH. Got, he's tri- he's back, terrible. Yeah, Vogelback <laughs> on the bench who literally can't hit anything but right-handed pitching. And then if he does get on because he's hitting in late games, you have to immediately run for him. So yeah, they, I don't. I agree. Their roster construction is kind of bizarre to me. Uh, there's a team that throws money out, and really, if you look at all those players, not saying Lindor is not a team guy or anything like that. They, they, it's not a group that really looks like they mesh together well, and they've formed any type of chemistry. Like Eduardo Escobar is starting to look like one of the worst contracts in baseball. Like it wasn't a huge deal when they signed him, but this dude's been on the Mets for a year and is lost at the plate now. He's not too phenomenal in the field. See, if I would just. You know, I'm not in the position to do it, but I'd probably DFA him at this point because you got Brett Beatty, who's off to a pretty good start, and that is a promising upside for them. But like, you're just eating money. No one's going to pick up his contract. But the Mets don't impress me. But I know for all three of us, we do like to see them struggle. Something in there just doesn't doesn't resonate well with this podcast group. So maybe we all need to take a trip out to City Field and cause some havoc. Maybe get some good content yeah. out there. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to. I know we're trying to keep this pod short, but I wanted to ask you guys because I I think about this sometimes. 
I think this year is going to be an anomaly year for a lot of guys who are struggling in the fact that there's three things that I think have happened that, and one is obviously talked about more than the other two, but one, you obviously had the world baseball classic where these guys are playing meaningful games a lot earlier in the season. So you're seeing a lot more guys get injured early. The second thing is obviously the pitch clock changing changes both aspects between hitters and pitchers. Um, And then the third thing is they changed the schedule. There's not nearly as many divisional games. It's a lot more interleague play, which means longer travel, um, which means some of these teams are playing like really tough stretches of interleague play. Like I know the Astros just went through a stretch. They played like the Pirates, the Braves, the Rays, and then the Phillies. Like it was just bang, bang, bang. So I think that also has parts to do with it. And it's, it's more travel and less familiar foe is who a lot of these teams are playing. I've been curious on that too, just because it does technically make the schedule harder too at times. Like if you're not playing, so like some teams wouldn't have to play the NL East or like every opponent, maybe you're only playing one, but now you do have to play everyone. Everyone's pretty much good over there. So, or yeah. even like the, you know, the NLS has to play the NL or the AL East now. So it it's interesting to see, especially on the AL side, the past couple of years, like 90 wins doesn't guarantee you a wild card spot. So I'm curious to see like what the wild card numbers could be. We might get back down to where it's like, I'm expecting the the total wins to be like under on a betting line for teams. Oh, 100%. So like, yeah. it'll be interesting to see if a wild card team gets in at like 83 wins this year or 84. And like it had been, you know, a couple of years ago, because in the past couple of years, it's been like, if you're not around that 88 to 92, like you might not be in the playoffs. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like seeing them play like different interleague games and stuff. But then part of me is also like, dude, being an AL West team fan, what I would do to just beat up on the Oakland Athletics 19 times <laughs> and confirm that we're going to get to 100 wins. But I think the winner of the AL West might only have 93 or 94. So we'll at this see. rate, at this rate, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that's all all good points. Um, gentlemen, it's uh, beautiful just to even talk a little bit on the mic again, especially when all three of us are together. It's a great blend. We're going to have to do something unique because this thing has to grow. And if anybody's listening right now, we're no better than your typical standard podcast. So we're going to put in the work. Hopefully you guys are able to listen, help us grow in some way or another. But right now we just want to get familiar back on the headsets, on the microphone, and hopefully your ears are happy to hear our voices. But that's really all we got today. I appreciate you guys tuning in and get ready for some more content production from us. Thanks for listening to Dudes with Some Balls. Y'all stay blessed.